It's Chaz Kalenda, attorney at law here on the Coalition Radio Network. We're here on another episode to discuss ongoing legal issues here in the state of Rhode Island and nationwide. And to help me discuss again tonight is Coalition Radio host and station management, Pat Ford, who is reporting live from Westerly, the malted barley in Westerly, coming from uh, a very, uh, I would say, successful uh, school committee meeting, I believe it was, down there in Westerly. Is that what was going on, Pat? It's, uh, it's awesome here. By the way, this is a great spot, 42 High Street, malted barley, support local restaurants. They've kindly set up me a, a little corner here in the basement in the pool table. I've invited anyone who's here in the room eating or drinking to just weigh in with whatever extraneous comments they want. I am currently having a most excellent pear cider. Yes, you heard it right. A pear cider on draft. I recommend it to everyone, the bar, the restaurant, the people and the pear cider. Uh, Westerly was in one level successful tonight. The mask mandate uh, has ended effective, I believe, the, the Monday morning of the 7th. Uh, one area of concern, they're still working out the details. There are those people, and this is the type of thing we have to watch out for. There are those people who would like to vest said operation in one person, the superintendent. And um, I believe that the people need to retain control of that. So it's, uh, it's a challenge. It's, uh, the battle is ongoing. The conversations are ongoing. A lot of heat in Westerly, a lot of questions about parental control of curriculum uh, were brought up this evening in a very balanced manner. Uh, a good conversation from the parents, a lot of backlash from the school superintendent. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to meet a number of school superintendents in my uh, travels or travails, depending on how you look at my day-to-day -day journey. Uh, most of them are great people working under difficult circumstances. This guy, arrogance would be his middle name. Coming from someone who's pretty, pretty arrogant, that's saying something. So I admire pretty. arrogance usually in other people. Today, pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the problem is they're talking about testing and they're celebrating their standing relative to other Rhode Island schools. And as we know, that's no badge of honor. Um, he's contesting. And I'll get, I coincidentally, I may have taken a little video. Uh, coincidentally, he's arguing, of course, that Massachusetts had the uh, the uh, MCAS in place for 25 years. Uh, you know, Rhode Island hasn't had a chance to match up the curriculum with the testing. That's the reason the test scores. So I asked him, words to the effect. So are you telling me then that the RICAS test is doesn't match and is inappropriate for the students of Rhode Island? Well, no, 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 no. I, that's not what I said. Well, what is what does work? Tell me. Test scores in your district are abominable. What are you going to do about them? How many more years do students have to suffer? Students have had to suffer. Really? Okay. You know, so you borderline get... literacy in this state is not considered suffering anymore. Not if you're a member of the elite, not if you're making the big six-figure salary, I guess. It so. sounds like those, uh, it sounds like the answers you were getting from were the ones that we were getting from our former DOH director uh, when questions were asked about masking. And the simple answer was, because masking works. Uh, you know, right. just that conclusory answer. That conclusory answer that provides absolutely no insight into why masking works, in their opinion. No, and, and because, you know, the constant refrain, let's leave it to the professionals. But we've left this to educational professionals for several generations now, and it's been several generations of failure. And the question is, how many more students have to suffer? How many more students have to miss on vital parts of their education? How many students 
who have, and by the way, you heard me say before, I believe all kids have superpowers. It's up to the parents, the school systems, if you will, that we entrusted them with, not give them to, but entrust them with, all right, to find out what their superpowers are. So let's focus on results, empirical results, measurable results, not just the normal voodoo that passes for educational philosophy in this state. Uh, it's destructive, and we've lost all sorts of kiddos to it. And, uh, you know, it, it's just enough. It, enough. Let's, I, I, let's, I, let's stop it. Absolutely. And it's a topic that I'm going to be focusing on, you know, I'm sure in upcoming episodes as this uh, plays out in all the different communities in Rhode Island, because it's been uh, such a contentious issue for the last, uh, you know, at least year, uh, probably a lot more than that, but I'm understating it, but we certainly will be following that. Um, tonight, I wanted to tackle uh, an issue that's been in the news for the last few days, but also uh, it's, it's an issue that a lot of people seem to misunderstand or just don't understand simply because they don't have the experience in the criminal justice system to understand it or have never been through the process. Uh, and it's and it's caused a lot of consternation lately. It's the issue of bail and uh, who's entitled to it. How do they get it in Rhode Island? And uh, how do, you know, are there cases where bail can be denied and when should it be denied? Uh, and this has been brought to our forefront Recently, there was a, an article on WPRI Channel 12 published uh, with video from uh, leaders of the Providence Police Department uh, decrying the bail that was set for two suspects accused of murder in the first degree, along with a slew of uh, gun charges. Uh, they were granted bail by the Superior Court, uh, the same judge, Judge uh, Kristen Rogers, uh, on those charges and under normal circumstances, uh, people charged with murder in the first degree uh, do not get the opportunity to get bail uh, are not given bail under Rhode Island Constitution, Article one, Section nine. That is a uh, that is a crime of which a person may be held without bail uh, pending the res uh, the resolution of that case. Uh, in this case, Judge Rogers has set bail and one of them. Uh, one of the matters uh, that was, I believe it was um, Andrew Mang and Mangrew. She just recently set bail in the amount of $10,000 with surety and home confinement uh, with electronic monitoring as a condition of that bail. $10,000 with surety, Pat, is uh, re requirements to post that bail in the state of Rhode Island. You can either get a bail bondsman you post 5% of that. So that would be $500. Or uh, if you don't have a bail bondsman who's willing to do that for you, which in this case he didn't, uh, he posted $1,000. And at that point, as long as he abides by the rules of home confinement, he gets to sit in his home while the families of the victims uh, have been outraged. And they were outraged. If you've watched that video, that outrage was palpable and un understandable because uh, I can count probably in 16 years of practice on one hand, the number of people charged with murder in the first degree who have been granted any sort of bail prior to trial. Right. right. And, and, and so while the individual in charge is living in comfort at their home, you've got families again in Rhode Island, once again, uh, preparing funerals for their loved ones. It's it's inexplicable. It's inexplicable, and and I want to discuss why this 
this has happened. You know, I, I'm not involved in these cases. These are not my clients or anything like that. Uh, but I do have the reliable sources of the people who were involved in these cases and witnessed this firsthand. There's only in a, in a case where it's a capital offense, like murder in the first degree is, um, there's only two ways that a defendant couldn't get bail when the state objects to bail uh, in the first place. So the state would either have to agree to withdraw their objection. In this case, that did not happen, according to the attorney general's office. So in that case, a judge would have to make a determination after a showing that the state has the proper evidence to prove their case. Uh, the likelihood of guilt is, uh, the proof of guilt is evident. The likelihood of conviction is great after trial. That's the standard the state has to prove. The judge then has the ability, uh, a presumption of dangerousness then applies to that person. And the judge then has the ability to uh, decide whether or not the defendant can rebut that presumption of dangerousness and has the discretion to set bail over the state's objection. That almost never happens in a murder case. It happens very rarely in cases where people are accused of dealing drugs, because those are other cases where you can be held without bail. Uh, the fact that it can happen with the same judge on two, uh, first, two different and unrelated first-degree murder cases uh, is shocking to many people. Uh, but what I have... What I have found out is that it was the lack of evidence or the lack of coherent um, presentation that was put on by the attorney general's office that led the judge to uh, potentially conclude that, yes, okay, the state has produced enough evidence at this point to go forward, but she was not convinced. She was not convinced that the state potentially could con could proceed, uh, could be successful at a trial when this matter goes. And, and for that reason, she said bail uh, because of the lack of uh, performance at the bail hearing by the attorney general's office. So now again, let's do the full disclosure. Yes, we will be accused of politicizing uh, tragedy. B, we will point out that we are not politicizing tragedy. We are merely engaging in, dis in a discussion of a tragedy that was caused potentially by incompetence. And then as a result, see, when is a better time to talk about incompetence than in the run-up to an election? So I just wanna get that out of the, the standard issue disclaimers. Maybe we need to put them into a video and, uh, and, and run them at the beginning of the show. Yes, yeah. we will be talking about subjects that may impact the political future of certain Rhode Island leaders. Uh, do not operate heavy equipment, uh, prepare to be offended, and as the, the uh, millennials say, yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to put those standard disclaimers in there because I'm sure there are certain uh, personalities, media personalities who would love to uh, accuse me of politicizing an event like this. But uh, I don't I'm certainly not politicizing. I want to I want to give people insight into the process and how this happens right. because Providence police and the victim's family are the ones who are coming out publicly saying, how did this happen? How did this, how could this possibly be allowed to happen? Uh, considering that, you know, you have people who are dealing marijuana who are being held without bail by courts. Uh, you have people who are dealing small amounts of drugs who are being held without bail by courts. You have people who are on 
probation for minor offenses get picked up for another minor offense and being held without bail by the courts. How in a case where you have people charged with violent, you know, I guess murder in the first degree would always be violent, but, uh, but the, probably the most serious crime under Rhode Island law, murder in the first degree with the slew of these horrific gun charges that we're always hearing from the attorney general that he doesn't have enough tools to fight in his toolbox, you know, to fight against. Uh, they're, they're charged with the slew of these cases. How could it possibly happen that the, uh, the same judge who I will say from personal experience dealing in her courtroom uh, is no pushover on criminal cases. You know, there's nothing that gets by her. She is, she's not known to be a, um, I will say a, a light sentencer or a, a person who would uh, tend to be more defense friendly, I would say. I say she's a very fair judge, but she's no nonsense. So you can't accuse a judge of uh, being a pushover in this case, which is what a lot of the media has done. The, part, the, uh, the police uh, in their statement, instead of asking the attorney general, how did this happen? Uh, they pointed their finger at the judge and said, how could you possibly grant these people bail? I think that's a lazy argument. I'm not blaming the province police, but that's, you know, it's the media. That's the media narrative right now that's going around. How did the judge let this happen? Well, it's not the judge's duty to prove this case. It's the attorney general's duty to prove their case, to meet their burden of proof and convince the judge that they have done their job in order to keep this person behind bars while this case pans out uh, pans out and apparently they did not do that well and isn't it the judge's responsibility and this is always that moment of the show where i i uh, i readily acknowledge that i'm not an expert that in fact on a daily basis i act like one for the radio but isn't it the judge's responsibility to react to the evidence as presented not as often occurs in fantasy TV land, suddenly go that out that weekend and do her own uh, investigation with a specialized team that she happened to have. It's it, just like there's a separation of powers within a three co-equal branches of government. It strikes me that there's a separation of powers and responsibilities within the criminal justice system. And it's yeah. un- unfortunately, what happens in this state, and, and I think it's just a lack of understanding, uh, because I don't believe the Attorney General's Office is interested in publicizing this, it is in fact the responsibility of the Attorney General's Office to uh, to prove their case. Provide. Yes, to provide the appropriate evidence. It is the Attorney General's Office responsibility to engage in a responsible discovery process. It is the Attorney General's Office uh, and or their underlings, if you will, to uh, maintain parole, to maintain probation, to maintain, uh, if you will, some supervisory aspect of non-incarcerated criminal management. How's that for a term? Uh, I like it. I like it. it, 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 It's just, again, the Attorney General's office continues to abrogate their responsibility. The Attorney General's office continues to take a flyer on these things. So I would say rather than be offended by our discussion of it, be offended by the fact that it's allowed that the circumstances, if you will, that occurred are allowed to be turned into such a bleep show routinely by failed Rhode Island government. I, that's, that's what we need to be mad and frustrated with. And you know, I applaud your continuing efforts through this show and through your campaign and actually just through your daily day-to-day behavior 
as an officer of the court to uh, to provide that service to Rhode Islanders. But clearly, we I don't know how we step it up more than we're doing, buddy. But we just, uh, you know, if need be, I'll do pirated like DVDs of this show and hand them out in Kennedy Plaza if that's what it takes. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know, Pat. It's it's just it really is sometimes just a lack of understanding on on the part of people who are not day to day involved in the criminal justice system, uh, that you know they just need to have it explained in in terms that that everybody can understand. Non lawyers can understand. People who don't work in the courts can understand. Um, you know, I I don't I don't take this lightly because, you know, I I am a firm believer as is. Uh, required in the Rhode Island Constitution, under Rhode Island laws, under the rules of criminal procedure, most people are entitled to bail. But there are there are circumstances which are contemplated under our Constitution where bail can be denied. This in these cases, there's no more evident case where bail can and most likely should be denied, assuming the evidence is there and properly presented to a court, uh, than murder in the first degree, and that if it's not done, the judge has an, uh, a legal and ethical responsibility to set bail and you know, to criticize the judge for doing that after hearing the evidence which was presented by the attorney general and obviously subject to cross-examination by the defense attorneys. Uh, if the judge determines that the, the state's case is not up to snuff for whatever reason, because they didn't handle the evidence correctly, their witnesses didn't handle the evidence correctly, or the state didn't bring it out in a, in a manner that was, uh, that was cohesive or, or one that was um, convincing or compelling to that judge, then you know the judge has the responsibility to evaluate whether or not holding somebody without bail at the ACI is the appropriate thing to do. Uh, and and I, Judge Rogers apparently did not find in these two in these particular uh, recent hearings that the state's evidence was compelling enough to keep these people behind bars if you could for a moment again for the edification of the audience and always for my own continuing education process here um define the difference between the levels of homicide you know uh, you know you murder capital whatever if you could down into the manslaughter range and just give us a flavor of how often judges in Rhode Island see uh, first degree. First degree murder is, you know, there's there's generally about, uh, you know, the, I think the state generally sees somewhere in the teens to maybe low twenties of homicides for every year. Not all of them are first degree. So first degree murder is a is a is a fairly rare offense in Rhode Island to see you. We do see second degree murder. We do see many manslaughter charges, um, but you have the most serious, obviously, is first degree murder. There's only two options that come out of that as far as sentencing. If you're convicted, uh, it's life imprisonment or life without parole if it meets certain circumstances. Second degree murder is punishable by a minimum of 10 years in prison and maximum of life in prison. Uh, manslaughter, whether it's voluntary or involuntary. Uh, is, is punishable by a maximum of 30 years in prison. So those, but you're entitled to bail on all but the murder charges. Manslaughter, you are entitled to bail. Right. Now, the standard, what is the differential between second degree murder and first degree murder? What is, what is the behavioral differ differential? 
and, and upon whose responsibility is it to to provide that analysis in the charging? So the difference between first degree murder and second degree murder is they're both the intentional killing uh, of another human being with malice aforethought. So uh, that's, you know, malice aforethought's a legal term, but it's basically you intended to kill or inflict serious bodily injury and you did in fact kill that person and that was your intent. The difference between first and second degree uh, is that first degree requires premeditation in doing so. Premeditation means like something like lying in wait or you planned it out you're, uh, that you were going to go kill so-and-so at some, at some point in time. Premeditation could be a short period. It could be a short period of time. So you could be walking down the street and you don't, you know, be so offended by something that somebody did or you something that you see of that person or you see somebody you hate so much and then form the premeditation at that moment to go kill that person. That could be first degree murder. But premeditation is the, is the real difference. Right. Folks, if you're just joining us, you are watching Chaz Galenda, attorney at law. Uh, Chaz, in just a moment, is going to tell you his website and his Facebook page. So perhaps if you're uh, if you find this interesting, and we hope you do, because it's it's a little bit more serious treatment of the issues than the usual outrage porn that you see on so much social media and uh, the general media at large. Uh, Please take a moment to like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the coalition radio. And as always on the mighty, mighty Twitter at coalition underscore radio. Uh, Chaz, if you can just fill folks in on your social media and then we'll get back to the issue at hand. Absolutely. So you can find me if you're interested in my uh, campaign, which I'm running for attorney general, just for a disclaimer. Uh, you can find me at Chas, C-H-A-S, the number four, A-G.com. You can also find me at Facebook, uh, in, at, at Chaz Kalenda for Rhode Island Attorney General. And that would be at Charles Kalenda or Chaz at Chaz 4AG. You can also find me at Twitter at Charles Kalenda. Uh, you can find me on Instagram also at Chaz 4 Rhode Island Attorney General. Um, if you want looking for legal advice, you can find me at the law offices of Inman and Torji, which is at 401-823-9200 in Coventry, Rhode Island. And folks, Forgive the unusual presentation. I find myself tonight in the, the, the Burg of Westerly. Uh, I'm at the Malted Barley in Westerly at 42 High Street. Should you find yourself anywhere in the area, I will tell you the food is fantastic. Amazing stuff on, on draft. I'm a, I'm a cider guy, not a beer guy. All right. And obviously, I'm a root beer guy. Yacht Club Soda is the finest root beer alive. But uh, I find myself in the company tonight of an amazing pear cider. Um, just trust me on this. Pear. Uh, huh? Pear, yeah, I, I, it's, it's amazing. It's subtle and nuanced, like me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chad, Chad, what happens now going forward? There, you know, is, is there, I'm just gonna make an assumption out here that the, um, the plaintiff, sorry, I should say the accused in this case has to do something egregious for them to reconsider bail. Is that correct? What, what has to happen well, for them to reset, if you will, to a reboot? There needs to be a significant change in circumstances in order for the court to um, reconsider bail. So generally, any condition of bail of any, uh, any condition of bail requires that you keep the peace and be of good behavior. Um, home confinement, which is a condition for both of these individuals, well, Mr. Mangrew and uh, 
Keelan Page, who are both were the recipients of the home confinement. Home confinement has specific conditions and agreements that you must agree to in order to um, remain on home confinement. And if you don't uh, abide by those conditions, it is an administrative transfer back to the ACI because uh, technically home confinement is a, is a, uh, a wing of the ACI. It's a wing of the prison. Um, so uh, they, if they don't keep the peace and be of good behavior, if they don't abide by the home confinement rules, they are taken back to the ACI by the Department of Corrections. Right. Now, that's interesting. I, I want to dwell on that, touch on that in a second about the home being an extension. Uh, so in the absence of egregious action, no change, I'm assuming, I'm going to take a stretch here, that his defense lawyer, uh, that the defense lawyer involved here, I should say, um, had that, you know, heart to heart, that come to Jesus meeting with the uh, his client saying that, he just received the gift of all time and that he'd better not screw up. Is that a, that a fair statement? That would certainly be what I would be telling my client if I was, if I was representing these people, because uh, like I said, I could probably count on one hand, the amount of times that I've seen a murder one accused uh, receive pretrial bail. And the only times I've really seen it is many times when, uh, not many times, but the times where, the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator, started out as a juvenile and then was waived out of the family court to be tried as an adult. I've seen home confinement set in those situations for people for those individuals accused of murder, but very, very, very rarely uh, do you see an adult, especially ones with criminal records, uh, which uh, at least Mr. Page here has a, a fairly lengthy one. Uh, ones with criminal records uh, get uh, the benefit of bail on murder in the first degree. Uh, if I could be so uh, bold, should I begin to infer that a lengthy criminal record is your ticket to paradise with this attorney general's office, if you understand my implication on other cases? Uh, you know, certainly I, I understand your implication. It, it's, uh, you know, I saw a memo come from the attorney general's office, uh, you know, a, a nice uh, a very friendly individual in law enforcement. I was kind enough to show me a memo uh, that came from the office of the attorney general, which basically said that they are no longer going to request people be held without bail on probation violations unless certain new crimes are committed. Otherwise, uh, they are going to um, no longer request that hold without bail, which has been a fairly standard practice uh, throughout my time practicing law. And, and, and in some cases, that's very appropriate. But to have a standing order that nobody that is on probation, unless they're charged with a new violent crime is going to even be considered for a hold without bail. Uh, a one size fits all does not work for every does not work for the criminal justice system, Pat. Right, because then you get the pendulum swinging in the other direction. You know, you, I'm sure you've seen your share of cases where circumstantial evidence and happenstance and the proverbial wrong place, wrong time has thrown people into a return engagement, if you will, with what I'll euphemistically call Rhode Island's criminal justice system through literally no fault of their own. I think you've seen that recently, both with folks who have criminal records and folks who have no criminal records. So it's, it's again, it's, is there, is there a market here anywhere for just a simple, competent application of the law, the setting standards, and some reasonable, you know, 
reasonable practices? Is that anywhere, or are we just going to continue to cater to a variety of interest groups? I think that's what this attorney general is doing uh, is catering to his interest groups, because obviously we're in an election year. I'm going to be his opponent. As far as I know, I'm going to be his only opponent. And I've been a very vocal critic of his partisan uh, use of his office, which really has no uh, basis to have partisanship in it uh, when you're making decisions like this. So, uh, you know, I think by engaging in this type of, um, pandering to certain groups, uh, it, it really perverts the criminal justice system. You have to look at these cases. You have to look at these cases on an individual basis. You have to look at them based on the law and facts, on the individual, uh, the individual accused of the crime, their background, their ability to stay out of trouble, their ability to be rehabilitated, their ability and amenability to a potential alternative uh, courts or alternative sentences that do not result in incarceration. And then you also have to look at the reality of some people just can't stay out of trouble and unfortunately, the prison is the place for them at that time. So, you know, you know, I don't understand why this has to turn into a political issue. I don't understand why we can't have individual prosecutors making decisions at the at the ground level. These the people who are in court every day I'm talking about. The prosecutors right. work for the attorney general's office who, you know, they have a they have a hard job. Pat. I did it for 12 years. They have a very hard job. And they're getting they're getting orders barked at them left and right from their uh, from their from their superiors about what they need to do and how they need to do it. Um, they need to be given some training, number one, because they've lost a lot of their experienced prosecutors that have been doing this for a long time. They need to be given some training, number one. They need, and once they've been given that training, they need to be given the opportunity to do these cases uh, under the supervision of people who have the experience, the few that are left. Um, in that office, and then be able to be trusted to make these decisions going forward without the political influence or the worry that they're going to lose their job if they make a decision that's not popular with their boss. What, what's frustrating to me as a layman is that the technology exists and is in place. So it's, it's in place so that we no longer have to rely on instinct or institutional knowledge. Uh, one of the beauties of your candidacy is that you, in fact, are boots on the ground, both for your 12 plus years of experience as a prosecutor in the attorney general's office. And now your extensive, as we were joking about this week, seemingly constant appearance is in court, a criminal justice practice. And, and so you've got all the tools necessary for everyone to see a, a, not just a snapshot, but give you insight into virtually every aspect of these cases. Why is this so hard? Well, I mean, the criminal justice is hard. The, the system is not perfect. You know that, Pat. I mean, you've, you've had guests on your network that, you know, talk about the, the inequities of the criminal justice system and the right. imperfections of the criminal justice system. So, you know, we have a, we have a flawed system to begin with. Uh, I'm certainly not the one who's got to come out here and say uh, the criminal justice system always gets it right because it doesn't. And that goes and that doesn't mean that, you know, oh, I only believe one way. It, it, it gets it wrong going both ways many times. But, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be hard for the chief law enforcement office 
in the state of Rhode Island, which is the attorney general, to use common sense and enforce the laws in a way that has absolutely nothing to do with his either re-election chances, his election chances, his popularity, uh, his popularity among his base, whatever it is. Um, you know, I, that's not going to be an influence should I be given the opportunity to steward that office. That is not going to be an influence on me. If I get elected, I can tell you that at least in the first four years, if I'm elected to a, a term, I'm going to take each case, I'm going to make sure my prosecutors in that office take each case on an individual basis, keep the politics out of it, and I'm not going to stick my nose in their business and tell them what they should or should not be doing as far as uh, how to handle their cases, because I'm only going to have people working for me that I know can do the job and that right. I know have been trained to do the job and are going to put their personal beliefs and politics aside and do it in a way that's going to achieve justice. Because as the United States Supreme Court has held many, many, many times, the role of the prosecutor is to be the minister of justice, not to win cases not to win convictions is to do justice all the time, every time. And that's what we're missing right now in this office. Uh, the role of the Rhode Island attorney general has been perverted. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, I was very, um, I was heartbroken to see these families uh, that Again, were appear appearing with problems. Yeah. Ripped apart. Um, I, I've been heartbroken. I, you know, I start going back to the beginning of this year uh, with the, with the, the, that Olivia Passaretti who had been tragically killed in that, and that, and that terrible uh, road, road uh, accident, I won't call it an accident, uh, but I'll, that terrible road incident in Warwick. I'll, I'll call it the weaponization of an automobile. Yeah, that's fine. And that's what it was. That seems to be what it is. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I feel horrible for these people because I don't think justice is being sought in, a, in the way that's appropriate for a minister of justice uh, with these people. Because, um, you know, unfortunately, the, in Rhode Island, our attorney general is elected in a partisan election. And right. you, have to, you have to identify your politics. I've identified mine, but I've also said at the same time, my personal politics will play no role in the way I run that, and the way I run that office, Peter Narona can't cannot say the same thing. He has not said the same thing. Uh, he's tried to backtrack on that, but from day one, he's called himself an activist. So he can try to redefine that word as many times as he wants. It's on video, and he told everybody what he was going to do from day one. We all should have been listening. We all should have been listening to him because he has done exactly what he said he was going to do, uh, and that would be an activist attorney general, which is not the role, and it's. Um, as someone who worked in that office and gave 12 years of my life to that office, it hurts me to see that uh, from a professional standpoint. Uh, and, it, and it hurts me to see that as a member of the bar, because, you know, although I may have clients who benefit from his partisan politics, uh, it doesn't mean that that's justice. It means that right. It means that, uh, you know, I have a job to do as a, as a criminal defense attorney, and I'm going to take the opportunities available to me that are either given to me by the attorney general's office or by virtue of the uh, actions of the attorney general's office to get my clients the best possible deal, because that's the role of the defense attorney as opposed to the role of the prosecutor. Excellent. Well, take us home, Chaz Glenda. So I hope I've helped everybody here uh, you know, understand how bail is determined, how bail works in Rhode Island, why some of these cases have turned out the way they are. And I, and I will point out, because it's something I did forget to point out, that just because somebody was given bail 
pre-trial or pre, uh, you know, pre-conviction does not mean that they are not going to eventually be convicted sometime down the line. Bail is there to assure that the, the community is safe and that people will appear in court. So I do want to put that disclaimer out there that uh, just because these people were given bail does not mean the case is over. Those cases will be heard at, in some way, in some fashion going down the line. But um, Pat, I really appreciate you joining me here again on another episode of Chaz Kalenda, Attorney at Law, where we talked about bail in Rhode Island courts, help the public understand what goes on in the halls of justice, where you say so often that justice is found in the halls. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'd like to, you know, part of my goal in this campaign is to pull the curtain back on the criminal justice system, pull the curtain back on the attorney general's office, pull the, pull the curtain back on all that goes on in our court system so the people can understand exactly what they're looking at and what the office of the attorney general's role is in all of this, because I think it's important that our society, our, our state, the people of our state be as informed as possible about issues that are as important as this. So I appreciate your uh, input tonight. I appreciate your your uh, insight uh, into this and the questions that you've asked. And I hope all of you watching here on the Coalition Radio Network have, uh, have been informed and appreciate what we've provided to you. Uh, again, I'm Chaz Kalenda. I'm an attorney at the law firm of Indian Torji, uh, 1500 Nooseneck Hill Road in Coventry, 401-823-9200. And you can find information about my campaign at Chas, C-H-A-S, the number 4AG.com. If you're interested in, in making a change to take the law uh, and take the law and put it above politics here in Rhode Island in November of this year and replace Peter Narona as the attorney general. So, uh, Pat, once again, thank you. And I hope all of you watching here on the Coalition Radio Network will like, uh, go on, take, go out of your way and like us, follow Pat and his network, the Coalition Radio Network, and follow me here on Chas Kalender, Attorney at Law for future episodes. Thank you once again. And we'll see you on the next episode of Chaz Kalenda, Attorney at Law. Have a good Wednesday night. Good night, folks.